When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Welcome to Walzer Automotive Group and Car Selling Secrets with Andy Brandt Bernard. Tom Bernard. I get to introduce myself for the first time. I know, ever. isn't that cool? I like it. And our special guest. Uh, state Representative Pat Garofalo. Ooh, I like that state representative. We got a lot to talk about after these exciting announcements. We'll be right back. <laughs> after these exciting Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. So what's the latest? The uh, latest is we're representing people who are injured through no fault of their own. Uh, people come to us, we talk to them about what their rights are. We talk to them about things that, you know, adjusters would call them up and ask them about. And we represent people in order to get them justice for the injured. And have been for a long time. Very, very successful, no question. I, I, you know, I do meet a lot of your clients. They come up to me on the street and whatever, and they talk about this, that, or the other thing. And they both say... Why do you guys hang out with Doug Sprinthal? <laughs> and I just had no answer for <laughs> He just looks away, you big baby. In any case, that's the whole deal. So people, they got any problem whatsoever, personal injury or other legal problems, whatever, they just reach out to Brad, Sean, Bryant. Yeah, Joe and I have both been president of the trial lawyers for the state. So we talk to people about all sorts of issues. The consultation is always free, and that's what we do. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean, Bryant. Where's the manager? Walzer Automotive presents Car Selling Secrets. All right, we are back with uh, State Representative Pat Garofalo. Pat, uh, it's kind of a tradition. I got a lot of questions for you. First of all, Italian last name, Irish first name, a Tesla driving Republican. You must have some major identity crisis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not non-traditional self-identified uh, conservative and slash Irishman slash Republican. Yeah, that, or uh, Italian. That's how it works. It's kind of a tradition on the show that we have our guests tell the story about the very first car that they owned. And if it's a crappy story, people just make up really cool ones. <laughs> well, I guess my first car uh, my parents gave me was a 1978 Chevy Malibu. Uh, it was blue, but more rust than blue in color. And I think the most notable thing about the year and a half to year, two years I drove it is that, you know, I'd lost my virginity in the front seat of it. That's about it. There's really That's not- pretty acrobatic because the wheel's in the way. Most of us take the trip uh, to the back seat. Well, we were in the passenger seat. So oh, okay. it was, you know, but it was, uh, no, I mean, it was good was first it a car. human or farm animal? Or? <laughs> Sorry. Well. well, the, the, well glo- we, the, glo- the gloves come off that's early. Right. Yeah, yeah, early. Yeah, the gloves are off. Yeah. for 45 seconds. <laughs> so, no, the, uh, so that was my first car. I mean, I guess. You know, I started school when I was four, so when I actually started my junior year of high school, I was 15. Oh, okay. So, you know, the day I turned 16, I went up and took the driver's license test, got my license, you know, passed, and then uh, 
that first day I was driving my car, I was driving with some buddies and one thing led to another and I skidded into someone's yard and bounced the front of it off the corner of a garage of somebody's house. Oops. Like actually Yeah, so you can imagine how that phone call with the dad went. That was uh yeah. that was uh, pretty interesting. But no, it was a you know Nothing really particularly exciting. Rear wheel drive. Uh, at the end of it, it was burning so much oil that the extra drain oil my dad had from oil changes, we would just pour into the car. Just <laughs> wow. going through about a quart every hundred miles. Basically, a so, type of gasoline, right? I yeah. think that's and that's such a universal story. Almost everybody's first car. There's a technical term for it in the car business. We call it rolling pieces of shit. Uh, <laughs> okay. Or RPS okay. for short. RPS. You know, if, you're, if it's a family situation. Uh, we were talking a little bit before we went on the air and Pat's got a connection with a KQ morning show that he just started to tell the story. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa wait. Hey, this is too good for just talking amongst the guys. So uh, share the rest, of, or share the whole story with us, Pat, if you don't mind. Well, this first, is re- ruining your career, by the no, way. No, first, first of all, let's realize this took place in 1996. So Pat Garofalo in 1996, vastly different than the Pat Garofalo of 2020. <laughs> so uh, back then I was uh, I graduated from Mankato State, did my internship with the robbery and homicide division of the Minneapolis Police Department. Had you got wanted, this from Bob. Yeah, so, the, uh, so I had wanted to be a police officer my whole life. Went up to Minneapolis, did that stint up there, and quickly decided that there was no way in hell I wanted to be a cop anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then uh, uh, I was working security out at Mystic Lake. I was on the graveyard shift. Oops. Uh, yeah, working uh, uh, 11 to 7. And, uh, you know, pretty much just frustrated, fed up. And, of course, you know, I would uh, at the end of my shift, I would always listen to the KQ Morning Show and hear people calling in, telling good stories. So... In my infinite wisdom, I thought it'd be a good idea to call in and tell a somewhat disparaging and embarrassing story about a couple of customers and one of the things that had happened at Mystic Lake when they were in the bathroom and drinking alcohol and commenting on each other. Well, as you would imagine, the entire management shift was driving into work at that time, of course, listening mm-hmm. listening to Tommy B. <laughs> and, uh, so I was... Uh, I was uh, suspended by lunchtime and fired by dinner time. So that was uh, thanks, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> but it was it was, uh, it was funny because uh, and again, of course, this is years ago, so you guys aren't going to remember God. this. But like six or seven months later, I call back in, and I'm like, "Yeah, this is Pat from Farmington. I had called in. I had gotten fired before." And they're like, "Oh, I'm like, I just want to let you know everything worked out great. I got a better job closer to home. I was making more money. It was great." And well, I think right. it, I think it was Stretch who said. Where are you calling us from right now? And I said, "Well, I'm at work." He's like, "Oh, so you uh, you clearly learned from your lesson the first time. <laughs> you <laughs> so, learned a great so, lesson. Yeah, you got to keep that so. identifying information to a minimum yeah. when you're going to do that." Yeah. So that was, uh, but again, that was many, many years ago. A much less responsible Pat Garofalo, and uh, so it's just. It was funny though. Yeah, it's, it's, it's was funny. That's the good thing. It's hilarious how goddamn stupid I used to be. Yeah. <laughs> well, you and everybody else. I was yep. actually going to ask a related question to your story. So you, you're both dads. Are you a dad? Yes. You're a dad. When your, namely your son, starts driving, do you just expect to get the call that they wrecked the car, and then when they don't, it's like a nice surprise? So I... Or is it like a denial thing? I have two stepsons and a a biological son, and uh, my bio son had had his license for about four months and got rear-ended on Pilot Knob Road at a stoplight by a KQ listener, of course, mm-hmm. who looks at his license and says, Is your dad looks at <laughs> 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 My God. The kids hate that. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. sure you well, I remember. that. 
I um, remember, but yeah. But this is the modern era, so I don't get a phone call. I get the text. Dad, got in an accident. Me and Ellie are okay. Got the guy's info. Talk to you later. I'm like, some things require a phone call. Cars wrecked. Talk to you later. Actually did a good job. He took a picture of the guy's insurance card and settled up. And Half of Wes's car looks brand new. Because they had to fix it and cover up the hail damage, and the other half looks like a 07 Honda that's a kid's mm. first car. No. Pat, I, I, we've got to talk some serious stuff. And let me know Here if I've go. got this right. And it has to do with budgeting, and this came out in uh, press conferences in the last couple of days. Oh, see, if I've got my, <laughs> see if I've got my facts straight. So we had a projected surplus of $1.5 billion. I have some friends that think that the state that had that in the TCF free checking account. And I'm like, no, it's actually money we were anticipating on collecting right. through sales right. tax, so on mm-hmm. and so forth. Right. And now it's a $2.5 million short, billion dollar shortfall. And then there's also about that much money in the rainy day fund, from what I understand. But... The people that I'm listening to, mainly the governor and some other people have commented, said, you know, if things get worse, we don't want to blow all that money just to make up the balance. But under our Minnesota Constitution, we can't do deficits, right? And we'd have to have the balance budget Mm. by, is it July of next year? Right. So Minnesota has a 24-month fiscal cycle that started on July 1st of of last year and will run until June 30th of 2021. And so, and you're right, we make estimates on what we're going to take in in tax collections, what we're going to spend. And so a couple months ago, things were looking pretty decent, right? Well, obviously, the world has completely changed in the last couple of months. Yeah. And so in defense of the economists who make these forecasts, they uh, they did an update. And candidly, it's just an educated guess. Right. Right. Because the, yeah. re- the real big factors right now. You know, when is a vaccine developed? When is it deployed? Mm-hmm. Uh, what therapies are developed to limit hospital stays or you know, limit contagiousness? How does the public respond to this? Is there a new president in November? All that stuff. They're making educated assumptions. And, and from what I understand, and I'm a car salesman, I don't have any medical expertise, but it sounds like they don't even know if you can get reinfected or not at this point. Um, well, th- you cannot. You don't get reinfected, but if it mutates, oh, okay. and yeah. then you get another right. strain, and so I mean, the difficulty is, of course, all these things are totally up in the air. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I have no. I can tell you that right now, as of today, Minnesota has a state unemployment rate over twenty five percent, which is just. I mean, it just defies description how right. bad it is. Yeah. Um. But consumer confidence is a is a fickle thing, right? I mean, once you lose confidence. Does it rebound quickly? Does it take time to rebuild? When, you know, when do people feel comfortable going to a Vikings or Twins game? Yeah. You know? And so that, that sort of stuff, you get into behavioral sciences and it's difficult to, modif- to, to model. I can just tell you right now that, I mean, things suck. Right and well, the, thanks for that. Uh, yeah, hey, thanks for stopping by, Pat. Appreciate that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> take a note. But it's a, no, it's a uh, can't thank you for your, all your time. Yeah, so I mean, but that's so that's where we're at right now. Um, the federal government has passed some assistance. Uh, we have the budget reserve available to us, but you know, where you know where we're at in two months could be radically different, just like we were two months ago. But it's um, it's pretty it's pretty tough, and it looks pretty grim for a while. So the stuff that I've heard, and maybe you can verify because you know I, I don't really trust much of the stuff that I read but it's always nice to talk to the people that are involved the wall said that if you cut all the state employees it would represent about seven percent of the state budget yeah I mean, somebody else told me that about 50 percent of the state budget is education 
Well, so those are partially true. Okay. Right? Right. So they're, they're technically true. We're talking about what's called the general fund budget in Minnesota. So there's lots of areas of spending that are outside the general fund. So, for example, when you pay gas taxes or license tabs, that goes into a separate fund that we're not talking about. Right, because that gas tax can only be used for road improvement, Correct, right? correct. And then you've got what's called the health care access fund, which is a separate fund. So when we're talking about the general fund here, just realize it'd be like – if we were talking about how much money you got and we're just talking about your checking account, like we're not talking about your savings account or what oh. used to be in your okay. 401k or something like that. So, um, so K-12 education is about 40 percent, and I'm you know, estimating here. Yeah. So that is that the vast majority of those expenditures go to salary and benefits for education employees, okay. right? Teachers, administrators, principals. Uh, so the governor is correct when he says that state employees are 7 percent. But realize the vast, the overwhelming majority of the money we spend in the state of Minnesota goes towards paying salary and benefits to university employees, K twelve, you know, education employees, state employees. So there is some truth in what he's saying, but it does leave people with the false impression that somehow we're spending the money on road salt or something. And people don't realize how much money America spends on education. Oh yeah. There's always this uh, con- the, this uh, conception that. America is like, you know, one of the lowest spenders of education in the world when actually we're among the highest. Oh, but it's not enough. No, yeah, it's never enough. <laughs> never enough. That's, no. that's, that's one of the fun questions we get to have at the Capitol is you ask, they say, well, you just got to fully fund education. Mm-hmm. And you just ask them, well, how much? Yeah, if Japan and Korea can do so great with less money, then, yeah, that's, that's always no. the question, isn't it? No, it's so... So, but regardless of, you know, there's always going to be unmet needs, right? There's always a healthcare funding crisis, an education funding well, crisis, yeah, a course. mass transit funding crisis, whatever. But at the end of the day, the private sector economy is what finances government, and it's in a yep. serious state of contraction right now. Oh, yeah. Like what ballpark, what percentage of the state's income would you say is just from things like sales tax, luxury tax, corporate tax? Uh, well, again, we're talking about the general fund, yes. and the general fund, the three largest revenue sources are income tax, sales tax, and corporate income taxes. Well, there you go, yeah. And so the most recent, the, the revised budget update they provided this week projected that over the next 14 months, that's what's left in the budget cycle, that you're going to see uh, a reduction of just short, like I said, about $3.5 billion of revenue. Well, so it's um, Which happens to coincide with the difference between the projected surplus and the projected deficit. Right. Well, mm. so – well, there's and so keep in mind too that we are now going to be paying the price for just some decisions that were made in the past. Right. Uh, back in 2013 and 14, when Mark Dayton was governor and he had the Democrats in total control, they made the decision to raise taxes on the wealthy and put more of the tax burden onto a smaller and smaller number of people. And so what that did was it made our tax code much more volatile. Uh, the joke I like to say is that. Uh, our tax code, you want to have it resemble a Walter Cronkite. And after that change was made, it made us resemble more like Charlie Sheen, right? That's what the tax code looks like. <laughs> yeah. oh, God, Just in, ter- yeah, in terms of the volatility. I'm aware, yeah. And so when the stock market's going up and the small select of wealthy people are making money, then your state budget's cool. But when you have the stock market tank 20% and you start right. having people, uh, for various reasons, decide they've had enough of Minnesota and moving to Florida yep. and other tax havens – you got a big problem. And so whatever financial consequences are happening as a result of this, this is just putting accelerant on the fire. And that's a direct result of those tax changes that were made in 2013 and 2014. And it's going to – I mean, there's, again, I'm, 
I appreciate the fact that I'm a real fun guy to hang out with today, but uh, it, I mean, it's going to hurt. There's just no way around it, and we just have to be big boys and big girls and be straight with people instead of trying to sugarcoat it. Pat, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back after a couple of announcements for more fun with going broke. Tom Bernard here with CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Great to have you here, Michael. Always a pleasure to be with you, Tommy. So you're splitting the tab at lunch or pitching in on a gift for a coworker. Maybe you got to pay that football pool entry fee and you need to settle up now. What do you do if you don't have cash on hand? You could use one of those third-party transferring services that comes with fees and takes days. But how secure are they? Why not send money quickly and safely? with the click of a button, without the hassle of a middleman. What's the answer, Michael? The XChat app, brought to you by your local community bank. It's safe, secure, and simple to use. The XChat app, simply add a new contact by entering their name, phone number, and email into the app. Enter a dollar amount, and then initiate the transfer. To accept the payment, the contact simply enters their bank information through a secure link sent via text or email. X-Check, safe and simple from my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. 2020 never looks so good. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. With 2020 upon us, it's time to ditch the contacts and pitch the glasses. Take it from me. It's one of the best things you can do for yourself in the new year. I've never looked back from having LASIK myself, and with Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, you can trust you're amongst the best in the business. Call 855-554-2020 or visit whitingclinic.com online to schedule your free LASIK consultation. The great people at Whiting Clinic will take fantastic care of you, just like they did for me. Call 855-554-2020 or visit whitingclinic.com online to schedule your free LASIK consultation. Imagine 2020 or better in 2020. And let 2020 be your best year yet with LASIK at Whiting Clinic. LASIK results may vary. Talk to your Whiting Clinic doctor about your individual outcome potential. And actually, segue, we're just talking about living in Manhattan being the, uh, for the young and the wealthy in Colorado. Uh, Kath and I sat down the last couple of days, and if nothing changes, in other words, if it doesn't get worse, because it could get worse, but if it doesn't get worse, Catherine and I are going to lose between 25 and 33% of our income this year. Mm. If nothing changes, because we invested in things like, well, we had in several restaurants, things oh, like that. Oh, yeah, all those restaurants. Now, we're already going to lose that amount of money, but if we have to close some, then we're really going to take a hit. Yeah. So I don't know what that's all about. And, and, and you know, I sit and watch television and watch all these people in Sweden having a goddamn ball, <laughs> and, and we're going... Well, there's nothing, no checks in the mail, honey. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, the frustrating thing for me, I guess, you know, is that I do, I do, you know, there's a solution to this stuff, and all the options are bad, right? They're really challenging. Yeah. But one of the things we can do is we can tap into the creativity, the talent, and the innovation of Minnesotans to help us pull through this. And I'll give you an example. I spoke with a restaurant owner earlier this week, and they've worked with their local city. And what they're going to do when they get the green light is they're going to block off part of their parking lot. And they're going to bring tables outside when the yeah, weather's nice. Good idea. So they can practice social distancing, but yep. they can still have the sit-down dining experience. And for those who work in the industry, they know that, you know, their best margins are on things like beer and mixed drinks. Right. So it gives that sit-down experience. So you kind of have the benefit of both policies. But the problem we have right now is that we're not doing that. We just have one dude making all the decisions. I, I know. It's a this, big mistake. And it's a – 
just I, I try to explain to people over and over it's not a partisan thing. I don't care if it's if it's a Democrat or a Republican. But at the end of the day, when you have one person making all the decisions, you're just not going to have the flexibility you get in a free market system. Right. right. And so so what's happening right now is we have this stupid system where at the airport right now, some of the bars and some of the restaurants are open mm-hmm. at the airport. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so we absolutely. can go out to dinner. I mean, che- flights are cheap. We don't even have to <laughs> they take just them. fly out. That's true. 39 bucks to Chicago what gets is, you into, right. uh, right. well, they closed dikes. But how is that possible? So. Why do they do that? Well, because one dude's making the decision, and what happens is, as you know, if imagine, Tom, you were making all the decisions for the entire state of Minnesota. You might have a tr- couple people trying to get a hold of you, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you're going to make your decisions based off the information you have. Why and, is it that when you said that, the first thing I thought was, get out. Everyone but me out of the state. <laughs> exactly. I live here now. And so, Sorry about that. No, no, but it's, it's, it's frustrating because, you know, Every chief executive has a strength or a weakness, right? right? Walls' yeah. strengths are that he served in the National Guard. He's, you know, he's motivated kids as a high school football mm-hmm. coach. Those are good things. And compared to our previous governor, he's a pretty good oh. communicator. Can you, can you imagine? Can you imagine if this would have happened three years ago? Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but, 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 so those are Walls' strengths. But one of his weaknesses is when's the last time he had a private sector job? Right, and so does it get, ever happen? Well, I don't. You know, it's been a while. So, <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm trying to. And again, exactly. it's not. A, it's not a personal attack. It's just getting people no. to understand that you want a broad array of opinions, solutions going mm-hmm. going in place. And mm-hmm. right now in Minnesota, we have a higher per capita death rate than all our neighboring states. We have uh, a higher percentage of our labor force applying for unemployment compensation than all the neighboring states. Well, that's because we're more literate. Yeah, yes, right. that's it. Like, Sorry, it, Iowa listeners. Yeah, at, at a very minimum, though, like, okay, you want to single out the metro area and say it's different? Why don't these rural counties in Minnesota, why don't we have them operate off for a different schedule yeah. and a different, than this right. one-size-fits-all approach <clears throat> love that it. is just killing the private sector? And, you know, to your point of, like, you know, restaurants and stuff, um, it, it's a bad situation no matter what. But can we at least get the government to not make things worse? And that's what's going on right now. So, so what do you think is going to happen on the eight, Is the 18th the next end of the stay-home deal? or? Um, I think it's next What's well, next Wednesday. Is when, I'm trying to remember the exact day. Because so, something I interesting think, no. happened, and I don't, I'm not a candy aficionado, but apparently we have the world's largest candy store somewhere in Minnesota. Yes, we do. And they went and they went and said, "Okay, we're going to open up Monday." Southwest, I think. And then the governor and the government got together and said, "Okay, you can open up, but you have to do this." And they went, "Okay, cool." So, it's it's like the pressure is starting to build, and I think it it just feels like things are going to change. I don't know. Share that opinion. I'm just curious what you think. Oh well, first of all, in the real world. There are huge portions of the state of Minnesota where there is no stay-at-home order. Right. right. I mean, let, let's just right. be honest yeah. about that. Well, that's yeah, exactly I mean, if you're right. a farmer who lives three miles well, from his nearest neighbor, it's like, North why? Minneapolis. <laughs> that too. Well, My old neighborhood, they're yeah. all hanging out together, I can guarantee you that. There's some great parties going on in Monticello, I can tell you that right now. But the uh, if you take a look at that dynamic, right, mm-hmm. of that behavior, I mean, you see a lot of politicians on TV, and I notice not many of them have long hair. It's been eight weeks since yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
Albert Einstein. Right. <laughs> so, like, I can almost do a man bun. <laughs> yeah, you can get a oh, man yeah. bun. This is my wife off in the end. Put a clothespin on the top. And she's like, <laughs> get away from me. As, as it should. As it absolutely yeah, should. Yeah, she should, absolutely. But, you know, and that's the frustrating. And, again, we have a, a difficult situation, and it's so easy to second-guess people. But when you have these hair salons that are, you know, they're not heavily capitalized. They don't have huge oh, amounts God, of reserves. No. Oh, God, no. Right? no. Yeah. And why are they shut down? Instead, the state should be giving them performance targets that say, listen, you got to practice social distancing. you got to do this for your customers in terms of masks and waiting rooms outside. And then you figure out the best solution so that you can provide these services. Because right now what's happening, there's an underground economy of people cutting hair. Yeah. Let's just be <clears throat> honest no about, doubt it. about it. Right? And so it seems, you know. It seems pretty hypocritical when you see elected officials getting on TV with their neatly trimmed hair uh, telling people that, oh, no, we can't, we can't keep the hair salons or barbershops open anymore. Well, it's the flow bee. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Attach it to your vacuum cleaner. <laughs> the flow bee. What pothead thought of that? You know, one thing I, I don't you think. like a no, dog, but. This is, a, this is for you, Pat, directly. Don't you think. That when they do start opening restaurants, they should open the Italian places first. Oh, absolutely. See, that's, that's all I mean. I mean Mar- Marla Grassa or Marla Grassa, and then everybody else the would fall Garden. in line. Everybody else. Yeah. Um, the Olive Garden. Cassetta's needs to be open in St. Paul. Cassetta needs to be open. Oh, Louis. I love can, Louis. Louis is awesome. I consider love Mancini's I consider uh, Mancini's to be an Italian restaurant, just yes. you know, because it's yes. heritage of my, my family. My, Dad grew up on West Seventh Street down by there. Oh, so, did he really? Yeah. I got Phenomenal. a great Nick Mancini story. Nick was the guy that started the restaurant back in what, the fifties. My grandpa grew up with Nick Mancini, so it's, really, yeah. It's, and Nick, you know, if, if they needed somebody for a mob scene, he would have fit right in. Because absolutely. Just the way, but he was there seven days a week, twelve hours a day. Yep. Talked to everybody. Had the white bucks. And I was in the bar. This is like a Tuesday at 7 o'clock. It's kind of quiet. And at the end of the bar, there's a guy, and he's passed out. He's sleeping. Nick walks in, and he goes, uh, buy everybody uh, at the bar a drink on me. And the guy who's passed out comes and looks at him, and he goes, Nick, thanks. And he leans over and throws up all over his shoes. <laughs> and Nick stood there like, what the? Mm. So I, can I share a Nick Mancini story? Of course Love you can. it. So 1987, uh, I'm about 16 years old, and the Twins are in the World Series, right? Game 7's coming up, and my brother and I are talking about how awesome it would be to go to Game 7 of the World Series. And my dad's like, oh, you guys want to go to Game 7? We're like, Dad, yeah, Duh. of course. <laughs> so my dad picks up the phone. He calls Nick Mancini. This is the day before Game 7 of the World God. Series. Hey, Nick, it's my dad's name is Pat as well. Nick, this is Pat Garofalo. Hey, I, I know it's late. Can I ask you a favor? My kids really want to go to this uh, World Series game tomorrow. How many do you need, Pat? Um, well, four. You come down here, there'll be four tickets waiting for you. Don't worry about it. Jesus, that's amazing. My dad gets in the car. We drive drives down from Lakeville, or drives up from Lakeville to St. Paul, goes there. There's four tickets to game seven. I mean, unbelievable. Yeah. And my grandpa, like, my grandpa grew up with Nick Mancini, so I have a, a different perspective. But, like, I when things open up, it's just really important that everyone listening goes out to these local restaurants oh, yeah. and, you know, buys drinks tips generously because uh, it's huge yeah we just we need these places to stick around or else we're just we're gonna have like seven chain restaurants that we're gonna be able to eat from right that's just gonna that's not what we want i gotta tell you quickly nice nice italian story you ever watch the show tacoma fd it's about the tacoma fire department 
It's written by the same guys who did Super Troopers. Okay. And the lead guys in it are Italian guys, right? So they all go out to dinner. And so we start with Doug and then go to you and then me. As they go around the table, it gets more and more street Italian. <laughs> like this one first person goes, uh, can we get some bruschetta? They go, it's bruschetta. It's not pronounced bruschetta. It's pronounced bruschetta. All right? So they get around. Then it's like, uh, uh, I would like uh, the bolognese. Uh, the bolognese sounds really good. Yeah. They go around the table. And finally it's like. Gabagool! Everybody want a gabagool? <laughs> oh, God, it's hilarious. It gets more and more Italian as they go around the table. That's why it's difficult It's difficult for me to get offended by these Italian stereotypes because they're all true. <laughs> yeah, you, ever, you ever have dinner with Italians? Pretty it's the true. loudest thing you've ever yeah. heard. Oh, it's phenomenal. It's one of my love. favorite uh, family guy jokes that they've had. There was a sleeper agent who was uh, act, the activation phrase was, it's something that you'd never hear in real life because otherwise they could get activated early. So it was, gee, that Italian family at the other table sure is quiet. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's pretty funny. The Louis Nanny has a story. You know, Louis takes his whole family on these trips. At least he used to. I don't know if he still does. But they were in France. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the nanny family, when they eat dinner, they're going to make some noise. It's exactly. just, it's going to be very noisy. So the server comes over and goes, you know, I, I hate to say this, but we're not in America today. And, I, you know, I know you can make that kind of noise in, in the United States of America. But you Americans get really loud. We don't really go for that in France. Some of our other customers are getting upset. So, look, I know in America it's fine, uh, but could you not do it here? Could you quiet down a little bit? And Louis goes, we're not American. We're from Canada. And the guy goes, that's even worse. <laughs> Greatest of all oh, time. The guy just turns on him completely. You know, Lou Nanny is such a great guy. And I, oh, he I, is. I Lou's a great guy. back in your guys' stories, but this is. Oh actually, no, this is what so, the show's all about. Yeah, when I was in high school, I worked at the old Met Center, picking up trash oh, after sure. events. And back then, you know, if they had tickets, they would they would let us have free tickets to the North Stars. This is Wonder, back in sure. the late '80s when things were not so good. Yeah. Um, but what we would do is sometimes we could get. Uh, uh, tickets to other events so the uh, pro wrestling crew was in town well me and my brother get the free tickets we show up and then we decided to go sit down in the penalty box because you know they cover up the ice so we could sit really close to the stage um, and be you know right yep, there we're, sure. not, we're not supposed to be there but you know, you're 16 <laughs> but you're 16 so why not you're an employee badge <laughs> well then Lou Nanny shows up with his crew and they're gonna sit there oh and I, yeah and I'm like Oh shit! You know, so like we start, you know, kind of trying to slither out, sneak out, and Lou is like, "No, no, no! You can stay here. That's all right. Don't worry about yeah. it." You know, here I'm a teenager. I'm scared shitless, and you know, I'm sorry. I should probably clean up my mouth. No, that's, no, that's I, fine. I'm sorry. It's fine. The, um, it's digital. But no, just just I, I remember thinking like just how great that was. Just very gracious. You know, he's always ne- been that way. Yeah, never better than anyone else or anything like that. Just kind of want you know someone else, and just really a. Uh, a Minnesota institution. We need more of that, not less. We uh, so to kind of uh, this will make you feel better because I'm sitting with uh, Jack Euster used to run Musicland back in the day, and he and his lovely wife were at a dinner, and this is when Louis was the, you know the president of the North Stars. We're up in the owners' box having dinner with him, and we go out and watch it, and Louis sitting uh, furthest left, and then she's in the middle, and then I'm to the right of her. And Louis leaning over, looking and talking to us. But I can see he's glancing over constantly to see where the puck is. He wants to know like this. And at one point, 
I got to tell you the upfront what happened and then what he did. Uh, uh, game on the line, shots taken, hits the pipe. They miss the goal, right? So Louis thought this whole time, so they're skating this way, and Louis looking at her. Now this is the chairman of the board of Musicland Corporation's wife, and Louis goes, "So are you having a good time? I mean, it's it's a pretty terrific having you." Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> And she didn't know why he did it. She's like, what? (laughs) One of the greats of all time, Louie Nanny. Absolutely. absolutely. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back for the final segment of Car Selling Secrets (laughs) with Pat Garofalo and more swearing people. More swearing people, I love it. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Saber and Bryant, whatever it takes. Northern Metal Fab right off the interstate in Baldwin, Wisconsin, is a custom job shop specializing in large-scale projects. Northern Metal Fab is now hiring for all positions, including welders, painters, and inspectors, to provide quality craftsmanship to their customers. Northern Metal Fab is growing, and their growth is your opportunity. Northern Metal Fab offers competitive pay, excellent benefits, and more. Apply online today at nmfinc.com. That's nmfinc.com. Northern Metal Fab is an equal opportunity employer. We're back with State Representative Pat Garofalo. Uh, we talked politics for a little while, but we just devolved into really it's cool too story about famous people. So, Don't yeah. you think it's too depressing to talk about COVID? I mean, I, we've got to take care of the business. I am but. interested in the whole budgeting thing because I wanted to make sure that I had that right. Because it, it, it's something that we're going to have to deal with. And, we are. And it, yep. I think it will right. depend on it's you know true. how quickly or slowly the state opens and what the rebound looks like. Is it quick or is it slow? Okay. And the car side, it's weird. Yeah, it, I mean, our business dropped off sixty-five percent the day after St. Patrick's Day. Really? But now it's only down about twenty. Hmm, that's funny. The really? odd, odd thing is, we're looking. It's because of Tom and advertising on KQRS. <laughs> uh, we have an exclusive uh, David Luther, so pound sand. Uh, <laughs> but here's the weird thing that's happening: because the plants are shut down, we're we're starting to run out of cars in about oh. another forty-five days, and, and it's not complete but it's like holy crap right because the plants are loosely scheduled to start out third week of may but you know everything has to work right the the uh, general motors doesn't build all the parts that goes into a general motors car those come from separate suppliers and now if covid hits one of those plants like it has some in the meatpacking plants and they have to shut down so we're looking at people are willing to spend money on some really great deals uh but we might be short of product i mean it's just it's not for the faint of heart. But let's get to Frank Sinatra. Oh, yeah. Frank yeah. Sinatra. So, um, so, again, in high school, uh, I worked out at Met Center. We would pick up uh, – you start there, you pick up trash after hockey games and concerts. Once you work there a while, they let you be like a substitute usher for concerts. Sure. You know, you could wear the yellow shirt. And then uh, you do things like set up the set up the infrastructure for 
for stages, not the actual stage itself, but yeah. the fold-out chairs in the main floor, things like that. And this would have been probably 88 or 89. Uh, we're on the main floor, and Met Center used to have those goofy colored chairs. They were gr- each one, it was, they set it up that way so they're you like couldn't green tell. green and gold, right? No, they're, white, they're, some green, were white, gold, green, yeah. yellow, gold. Yep. And they did that so you couldn't tell if the crowd was empty or not, was why it was designed oh. that way. Yeah. So the fold-out chairs were all that way. But when Frank was in town, you know, when the chairman of the board is there, they have us go through all the chairs and pull out just the white ones. And then, yeah, and then put them up, and then you got to clean each one because you, know, you get people wearing their Sunday best to see Sinatra. Right. Um, back then, there was a restaurant up on the upper deck called the Observatory Club. Sure. Yep. Okay. And so we were wrapping up our shift, putting this stuff down, and a gentleman walks up, and our manager calls us all over, and we're all like high school kids, stuff like that. And he goes, uh, "Just so you know, Mr. Sinatra was up in the Observatory Club. He saw you guys working very hard." And uh, he would like to invite you as his guest to attend uh, this evening's performance. Jesus. Right? Okay, I'm an idiot. I'm like 16, 17. I'm like, well, I got to get home. You know, I'm not going <laughs> to be here. What are you talking about? <laughs> Make a long story short, a good friend of mine in high school named Gary, uh, I won't give his last name because I don't have permission, but he stuck around, right? Sees the show, and there was kind of an under, like a concourse that was non public that went underneath the walking right. concourse. Yeah. And he was at the west end of the building. And what happens is, you know, Sinatra does his, his finale, it's my way. He walks out, he gets in a golf cart. They whip him over to his limousine that's waiting. He gets in the limo and he's out of that building before the lights turn on, Yeah. right? Right. So my friend Gary is there, he's standing next to the limo and here comes Sinatra. Pulls up, he takes one step towards him and all of a sudden the goomba, you know, the big guard oh, yeah. grabs him, stops him. <laughs> and my friend Gary, Looks at the guard. The guard looks at Sinatra, and Sinatra just nods his head. And my friend says, uh, Mr. Sinatra, I saw the show. It was a great show. Sinatra reached over, shook his hand, and said, thanks, son. Got in the limo and left. My friend wow. Gary literally shook Sinatra's hand. <laughs> I, I could have... I, I, that could have been me. And I'm at home playing video games. Yeah, you know, yeah, I didn't have right, any idea, yeah. but I just... It was, uh, but, you know, just again, a total class act. The chairman of the board. How great is that? Isn't that awesome? That I mean, that would have been a wonderful story. Yeah. So. See, that's what this show is all about. Is that people are not going to hear these stories anywhere else? Oh, I love that about this show. <laughs> There's back in Met Center working there. There are so many crazy stories. I remember once I was working the uh, Charlie Daniels concert, and they they would pull so many bottles of booze off people. That they would, they'd have to change out the garbage cans there. Was that for like country acts mostly? Oh yeah, but it was country just, acts. Oh, <laughs> booze. And bottles. so they had so many bottles of booze that you needed someone there just to take the bottles from the security guard and put them in the garbage can, right? So I'm sitting there taking these it. things, unscrewing the bottles, dumping them out. About a half hour, of this I'm like, screw this shit. So I'm doing the fake unscrewing of the cap, setting the bottle in the garbage can, right? And I start doing that over and over. And then I swap out the garbage can. I take all those full bottles. I put them in my locker. And then I do what is probably the most irrational thing you'd ever expect. I take this colossal box of booze. I go home and I give it to my dad. I'm like, hey, Dad, look at this. <laughs> and, and like, my, I don't know if I've ever seen my father more surprised. I'm a teenager with box, full bottles of the hard stuff, right? <laughs> so I was in a fully stocked liquor cabinet for at least five years, just bottles of stuff. So it was God, great times. I remember that so much, and people trying to sneak in booze. Yeah. Unbelievable. Well, I mean, especially with the pricing. I mean, yeah. it pays for itself pretty yeah. quick. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
No doubt about it. <laughs> Isn't that phenomenal? I, I just, I got about 7 billion stories running through my head about all these things. It's just, yeah. it's great. We need to get back to that. We need to get back to shaking hands with people backstage, going to see shows, going out to dinner. Yeah. Uh, they cannot continue the shelter in place much longer, I wouldn't think. Well, as I said before, in practice, they're people are just kind of deciding on their own. Their yeah, cellular they're... phone mobile data, like they've decided they've had enough. Yep. And the centrally planned one-size-fits-all approach does not work for our no. state. I no. recognize that it might work for parts of our state. Mm-hmm. And certainly this is a, you know, this is a horrible virus, but people need to understand two things at the same time. The first thing is, yes, it's horrible, but it's not as bad as we originally thought it was going to be. Right. So I'll tell you a quick story about a city called Albany, Georgia. It's in southwest Georgia. Mm -hmm. A guy, a city of about 75,000 people, a guy went to a funeral there, small church, a lot of elderly people. Uh, Afterwards, went over to a a small three-bedroom house. Everyone crammed in for a reception after the funeral. Turns out he was an asymptomatic carrier. This small rural county, they can trace back 60, 60 people who are dead because this guy went to a funeral. Really? Right. Okay, so that's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is we have, you know, the Florida situation where some of the first cases were there. They have a very high elderly population, lots of migration, huge population oh, yeah. counts. It just hasn't blown up. And it, appear, nope. and it appears that, you know, with most viruses, ultraviolet light can, it makes them mutate and die sooner. Yeah. It just appears that if you avoid these dense experiences with lots of people in a room, you know, a dance club, a bar, right, right. that you're probably going to be okay. And if, you get, like. and if you get infected, unless you're part of the at-risk population, there's going to be exceptions, but it's not as bad as we thought. But trying to communicate that in a nuanced way just isn't people struggle. I, I, I tell that. you, Pat, the thing that, that I was somewhat cavalier about it until about two or three weeks ago because I thought, okay, this makes sense, flatten the curve, we can empty the hospitals, get everybody ready, get all the gear we need, build respirators, it'll be cool. If you get sick, they'll be able to take care of you. And then I discovered that if they put you on a respirator, you get a 12% yeah, chance no, yeah. of living. It's like, that's, ooh. That yeah, the respirator the is a Hail a Mary. Bit. I saw something yesterday, this is kind of funny to lighten it up a little bit. I, the whole mask thing, I get it in public places. It makes sense to me. I wear one personally when I go to the grocery store. But see, you see people driving around in cars with <laughs> yeah, masks on. Yeah, it's kind of weird. And, and yesterday I, I saw know. a guy riding a Harley, no helmet and a mask. And I thought, <laughs> I think no he, helmet. There you go. But he had a mask. And, and it, was a, it wasn't, you know, like a bandana, like I'm a badass mask. It was one of the healthcare masks. And I thought, yeah. I think you need to reassess your Just, risk management yeah, scenario. Really, I don't know how that's supposed to work. Well, it's yeah, to it's protect other people protect from other you. People. Right. 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 Well, if you're going 60 miles an hour, they must be moving pretty damn quick to catch your spit. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Or if you're in your own car and you have it on, it's like, what are you, good? <laughs> who are you, Hawkeye Pierce? <laughs> I know. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> no, but it's, uh, you know, it's so having people understand that aspect of it, that yes, this is very dangerous, it needs to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, we've been under this emergency authority now for eight weeks where one guy gets to pass laws on his own. <clears throat> right. And. It's enough. We need to start transitioning and having more people making the decisions, regardless of what they are. Not to make this a partisan thing, but are there Democrats in the House and the Senate that feel that way? Or is it more split than... And and I'm I'm interested in the Minnesota take on this, because I think we have a history of it's way better than national politics. I mean, you guys, for the most part, seem to get along with each other, and 
and get stuff done, which I think as commoners we appreciate that. But I'm curious as to what your take is currently. Well, I think that one of the consequences of the polarized environment is that when people disagree with their traditional political base, they're less likely to communicate it publicly. Yeah. So, the, so the conversations that many DFLers, will, elected officials, will have with you privately says a lot of the things I've said to you today where it's like, how do you explain to the small business owner why they have to stay closed, but, but Walmart is jam-packed? Why, why are you big, can't get in the parking lot. Right. Why is it that we have this regulatory structure in place right now where big businesses are just doing so well and the small businesses are just getting crushed? And it's, and it's really, you know, and that's a fine line, right? Because you don't want, if you're a Democrat, you want to tell the governor, hey, listen, you got to stop trying to make all the decisions yourself. You got to have more people involved. Uh, but at the same time frame, if you're a Democrat who publicly criticizes him, well, now you're opening yourself up to an attack from your, your political left flank. It's, no it's the same way some conservatives don't like criticizing Trump when he screws up, right? I mean, there's, a, there's almost like this level of infallibility that people uh, have with partisan, partisan. But behind the scenes, I will tell you there are numerous DFL legislators who understand that, yeah, the governor's got a good approval rating right now. But if you have people keep dying and the economy keeps cratering, at some point you have to be looking at not the intent but the effect of these policies, and they're just not working. They're not working at all. There's no, no reason for it. No. It's a. It's so funny about that, and I, I kind of, in a way, I guess I anticipated it, but I grew up in North Minneapolis on Plymouth Avenue. And they said, you have to shelter in place, you have to wear a mask, blah, blah, blah. And I, I thought, well, you know, we'll see. I wore a mask for seven hours flying home because I promised my daughter and my wife that I'd do it. It's the only time I've had a mask on. I have an inner city thing in my head. <laughs> I can't do it. It's like, don't tell me what to do. I'm not wearing a mask, and I'm not doing this, and I'm not, I'm not doing any of those things you told me to do. And if you go over to my old neighborhood, they're all right on top of one another. Mm -hmm. They just they will not follow. And I have a hard time, after all of these years, following the rules. We just never did. And, Tom, you're, you're not the only one. You're an American. Yeah. Well, <laughs> We're all Americans. That's very true. And so that's why it's fascinating. Places like Iowa, uh, North and South Dakota, they've never had a stay-at-home order. But they said, hey, it may be dangerous to go out. What did people do? They voluntarily chose to stay home. Yeah. It's yeah. one of the reasons why down in Florida, even though there wasn't a stay-at-home order until much later, mm -hmm. senior citizens, uh, people in at-risk populations, took it upon themselves to take care of themselves. Right. That's what we do. And instead of you know waiting for the mothership to send out the commands of how to behave, right. um, you know, there, and there's a there's a another component to this, and that is that people people don't feel like they're in control of their own lives anymore. And that's exactly the feeling. That's right. exactly what I'm talking about. I can't do it because it's like you're not going to run my life. Right. If I let you run my life, I'll end up in prison. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so, so when people when people feel like they're not in control of their own lives, right. there's a level of despair and there's problems that come from that. Don't you miss the good old days when we were scared of the Mexicans? <laughs> that's <laughs> a simpler Wait, time. I did not laugh at that. I'm offended by your comments. I'm scared of Wait, why would you be scared of Mexicans? The build the wall thing. Well, oh, the build the wall thing, thing, yeah. I don't think they were scared of Mexicans. Uh, they should that's be more weird. afraid of Italians, yeah. and I'm saying that. I'm Italian, so. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. So, God, what but, a world. But no, it's, it's interesting, you know, where we're going here going forward, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's it's so bad that I'm I'm staying up till midnight to watch Korean baseball. 
Why do the twins have to suck? I watch the LG <laughs> twins and they suck. What is that? Life is not good if you're a twin. <laughs> Life's not good if you're a twin fan. Yeah, the LG twins. The LG yeah. twins and soccer. Well, I watched a game the other night against some old lame-ass team they were playing. They were down like 19 to nothing or something. It's getting like, shelled, huh? They're getting shelled. My team. You know, if you want to watch a cool baseball thing, I think I talked about this with Tim Lammers or Mike Beck or somebody. I think when Mike was on. Mm-hmm. The Battered Bastards of Baseball. I think you can find it on Netflix. Yeah, you mentioned that. It's yeah. about. It's a documentary about um, Kurt Russell, who was a baseball player as a kid, yeah, and his was, dad yeah. owned the team. It was an independent oh, I team. I remember that. It's it's really good. Jim Bouton did a stint on it. Right. Got, it's you watch it. It'll make you. It'll make you miss baseball a lot, but it's probably more interesting than watching Korean pro well, ball. It works for me. Tom got me to look up how that pitcher died. Is it one of the worst ways to die? The Oh, yeah. Fidrich? Yeah. Mark Fidrich? I, did, I had no idea. I didn't know about that either. Oh, the PTO. my yeah. God. Kind of wish PTO, I would have known baby. I know. I wish I hadn't known it. <laughs> I used to love watching Fidrich. My God, I loved watching him pitch. So what was his story? What was the... He was just a goofball. I mean, he just literally would... He would stand on the mound like this, and he talked to the ball like this. And he go, "Here's what we're gonna do." And he would literally talk to the ball, and then he'd go like this. <laughs> he started doing all that stuff, and stri- he. I think that the batters got so distracted, he just struck out everybody. Red Sox had so a guy dis- like that too, Bill Spaceman Lee. Yes, but yeah, Bill Lee, absolutely there. loved it. My uh, my son told me the story about a guy who played a long time ago. Who like they said he was just a I forget his name, but it was like. He um, was so just totally dumb, but he was a great pitcher. I, I wish I could remember his name. Where, well, like, just named half of them. A lot of, but, a lot but, of professional athletes are not very but, bright. In the middle of the game, he would run out the stadium to just go chase a train because he was so enamored with trains. In the middle of the game, and this guy was like really good. <laughs> so, I wish I'll try to find his name and text it to you. But it was my my son told me the story. I'm like, that's a. That's an old wives' tale. And he's like, no, no, you got to look it up. And sure enough, this guy was just this phenomenal pitcher, but just dumber than a bag of rocks. It'll so happen. Pretty, pretty fun. But yeah, I think. So, Pat, after the constituents in Farmington hear this podcast and you're out of a job at the next election, what are you going to <laughs> do hook. next? The hook. What's in the cards? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, no, I think uh, actually the things we've said here today are pretty much in alignment with the people I represent. Uh, yeah, oh, God, yeah. yeah the peop- the, you know, there is a silent majority out there. And. They want the government to do the basic things, lock up the bad guys, educate the kids, you know, don't let my car fall into a six-foot pothole. They don't like it when yeah. government screws around and starts telling people what to do, and uh, they just want the government to stay off their back and out of their wallet, help them when they need it. But, you know, there's a difference between being supportive and being a nanny state, and there's just some people in our state that this they lean towards the nanny, and I just don't uh, – this is not where I'm at, and if people disagree with me, well, fine. Don't vote for me. I don't care. I mean, there's yeah, that. There you go. Perfect well, I mean, there's, attitude. Hey, there's, there is freedom in just saying, yeah, you know, well, I guess I'll spend more time with my wife and kids if I don't get reelected. Do you think that this case down in Dallas where that son-of-a-bitch judge put that woman in jail for seven days for opening her hair salon? And the governor just let I did. her out. Yeah, did. the governor did let her out. Yeah. But, Okay, so you kicked out the rapists and the murderers out of jail because you were afraid they're going to get COVID nineteen. But you put a woman who's trying to feed her kids in jail to get COVID nineteen. What kind of thinking is that? You know, there is a phenomena out there where we have we are starting to pivot, and it used to be this was about public health, mm-hmm. right? And now you're seeing some, not all, but some decision makers pivot to we have to protect ourselves, the elite. 
from the unwashed masses. Couldn't agree more. That, that, Couldn't and agree and more. that is an absolute, this, this level of elitism yep. and superiority. And you see it be in just like little off stories like that that are manifesting themselves. And again, this is a very dangerous virus. People, particularly if you're in an at-risk population, mm-hmm. you need to be cautious and take care of yourself. But that's a lot different than the nanny state telling you what you can and can't do. Right. It's a big difference. Love it. Pat, Love our, sadly, our time's up. I'm going to thank <laughs> uh, my a little friend long, Amy, Amy Zipko. I've known her for 30 years. And I'm like, Amy, I'm looking for some uh, some people on your side for the podcast. And she goes, Pat Groffel, it would be perfect. Yeah, so. I had to do it. She has photos of me from college and black. <laughs> so no. Well, I knew her when she was a flaming lefty. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, Would she meet somebody? I always love those people. Actually, you know what? She uh, uh, do you know what Tim Drugsman is? He was a state representative. Sure, yeah. I he went to, sold I went to cars me. for me, and he was the beginning of her political awakening. No kidding. And she went to work for Arnie Carlson. Oh, I oh, did not. Arnie. I did not know that about Amy. Yep. That's interesting. Arnie was not very conservative, though. No, but I mean, it's and and Amy's not a, a far righty either. She I mean she's a Republican. She believes in the GOP, but but that was that was her transition from. What will get us back to being Democrats and Republicans? What do you think will do? I don't want the far right, and I don't want the far left. I like I like Democrats. I like Republicans. Can we get back there ever? Oh gosh, I hope so, Tom. God, it'd be uh, wonderful. Know, it's uh, well, and again, the there's a difference between being a Republican and being a conservative. There's no doubt about it. There's a total difference. <clears throat> yep. I, I, I they used to be the same thing. Mm-hmm. Now they've become very different, and so on some issues, um, you know, when it comes to personal responsibility around like legalizing marijuana, uh, personal freedoms and individual liberties, I would label those as conservative issues, mm-hmm. not Republican issues. Right. And especially when it comes to in Washington, we could talk about this for an hour, I'd get myself in trouble. But, you know, obviously, it's, um, it's a big difference. But we're gonna, um, I suspect we're going to be in a radically different place than we are right now in one year, it'll be a very, very different political. Is dynamic. it a good thing? Well, that remains to be seen. <laughs> right? I mean, I mean, it's going to be horrible or wonderful. Well, no, but I mean, I just I think you look at the fiscally irresponsible behavior of Washington. I know. Where I oh mean, my God. Th- this is not partisan. This is math. Mm-hmm. At some point here, the bond market's going to impose discipline on Congress. Yep. And you know, there's a lesson to be learned from this, and that is that when the economy's raging and things are going good before this all started. Probably shouldn't be running trillion dollar deficits at the federal level. No, that's I'm, I tend to be left to center, but I'm very fiscally conservative in the last. Yeah. I, I understood spending our way out of the recession. I was somewhat encouraged that the deficits were on their way down, but but you're right. I mean, we give big tax breaks and then blow up the the. the it's just. No, I mean we got we have to get back to a world, was like the 1990s where. The Republicans, they want the Republicans won't let the Democrats spend money, and the Democrats won't let Republicans cut taxes, and the economy just grew, and we yep. ended up in the surplus. <clears throat> and, and that's uh, that's not a very partisan comment, and there's a lot of nuance in it. But there's kind of a pathway for that for Minnesota, where you know after the next election, you do not want one party in total control of the oh, state. Oh God, no! Oh no, no! And and I'll say this: the only thing that scares me more than the Democrats having total control of Minnesota would probably be Republicans having total <laughs> control of Minnesota. Well, there you go. But we just we do not want to go back to the Democrats in total control. That would be. Yeah, uh, we'll be hiring here in about another sixty days. So when you're looking for a gig, <laughs> call me up. <laughs> Hey, just you get what you pay for. Just try to, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's value in not giving a fuck. Yeah, <laughs> right. well, there so, you go. It was exactly. great having you on. Thanks. It was. We'll have what you a back great again. show.
Let's do this again sometime. I really we will. enjoyed this. No kidding. Good to have you on the KQ Morning Show, too. Yeah. It's <laughs> only 10-minute segments. He's kidding. And you can't oh. say, and you can't say, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> the benefits of a podcast. <laughs> we are out. Hey, thanks. Thanks.